And now for our main sermon, Barnabas Grayson. Who then can be saved? Is that timeout or touchdown? <laughs> timeout. Got it. Okay. <clears throat> Who then can be saved? Good afternoon, everyone. It's supposed that science, given enough time, given enough study, given enough uh, discoveries, that they can find a way for man to live forever. And so they're working at it by locking the genetic code and then trying to manipulate what they find there, the secret to longevity can be attained at some future point. At least that is the hope through science. There have been some who have died and have uh, had their bodies put into the deep freeze. Cryogenics. It's just, just being frozen. That's what it is. Turn to ice. Waiting for the time to uh, come when science will have discovered a way to extend the lifespan or to give them immortality. Now from the Bible, uh, we know that man has lived at least 969 years. We have the example of Methuselah and um, others, but they have, you know, now ceased to live. Today, in most cases, it's to live to be at, you know, under 100, and some over. Now, from all of this, we see that mankind is mortal, that there is a point in time where he will, we will see that all this physical life that we've been given is just, just temporary. We reach that point where we see uh, the time is coming when we will no longer be at least physical. But, you know, we have a life that is beyond this one. And that's what gives us hope. That's what gives us something to look forward to. We also know that this eternal life is not in man's power, but it is in the hands of God, in the power of our creative God, our creator. And it is our quest to obtain eternal life. That's the incentive, that's the motivation that our creator, the Father, has given to us and has made it known in the word that we have before us. And we live in that hope of that promised event. In Matthew chapter 19, who then can be saved? Matthew 19 and verse 16, Behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why call you me good? There is none good but one. That is God. But if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said unto him, Which? Then Jesus replied, He said, You shall do no murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your mother and your father. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? And Jesus said unto him, If you will be perfect, go and sell 
what you have, give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Truly I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not that any rich person can't, but he's going to find it hard, or she's going to find it hard to choose between sacrificing what they have, giving up what they have, sacrificing their worldliness to follow Christ. But this can apply to any spiritual hindrance that might come along in our life where we have to either choose to follow God or to follow our way of life and what we want to do. Verse 24, And again I say unto you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Riches mean power to some, and as the saying goes, money talks, because it gives a person standing, it gives him or her influence, but it is a misplaced trust, because riches can be hard to give up. And when his disciples heard it, in verse 25, they were exceedingly amazed. They were astonished, they were surprised, they were impressed by this saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them, and he said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And when you think about the miracles that Jesus Christ performed here on the earth, that the disciples saw the healing uh, of people, the blind receiving their sight, Christ walking upon the water, these things would be impossible in our eyes. But with God, we see that all things are possible. And so the disciples were exceedingly amazed at, at this saying, who then can be saved? Now, being saved has to do you know, with salvation, and it has to do with eternal life, of being spared the death penalty for sin and being in the coming resurrection. With men, said Christ, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So it's a matter of being spiritually minded rather than carnally minded. The Apostle Paul said that. He said to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So we see that in order to inherit eternal life, we must become as Jesus Christ. And to do that, we must have the Spirit of God. The Old Covenant Israelites were given every motivation and every incentive to live by the eternal law of love. And that's what the Ten Commandments are. They are a love they're a law of love, you know, toward God, toward neighbor. But many of them, as we read in the Bible, that a lot of them failed. Most of them, many, if not most, that is, failed. Even after seeing God's power, witness his miracles, experience his goodness and even his uh, wrath when they fell into disobedience. And these were a people who were called just like you and I with the same human desires to live and satisfy you know, the wants and needs that uh, human nature has in us. But they serve as our examples. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 
Moreover, brethren, I would not have, would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So God's children were under his mercy and figuratively baptized as they came out of the bondage of uh, sin, passing through the sea. And in verse 3, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, the same spiritual food that, that would give them life. And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So they were bound to God by redemption and sustained by his grace, yet they were not immune to the temptations so common to every human who has ever lived, just as we are today. But in verse 5, we find that with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. We know from reading that they committed idolatry and immorality, and they suffered the consequences of sin. And we see in verse 6 that these things were our examples to the intent that we should not, should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be you idolaters as some of them were. The people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play even though there was a way out. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day 23,000 even though there was a way out. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. There was a way out of these things, but they did not take it. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they were written for our admon admonition upon whom the ends of the world, or this age, are come. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So they were carnal, just as we are today. They were vulnerable to sin, the same as we are today. Because the world has its temptation, it has its, its pressures that it places on us. And if we are not careful, we may sub succumb to the ruins of sin. But here's what we, uh, God has promised, though. The verse 13, after he saying, Wherefore let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation also make an escape, a way out that you may be able to bear it. So God promises a way out. Out of all of these things that we read about, there was a way out. It was just a matter of choosing and going that direction. A door of escape, a way to overcome the temptation so we don't succumb. We also know that it would make sense for us not to put ourselves into a situation or into a circumstance in which, you know, we are unequally yoked with unbelievers so that it's hard to find that way out because the crowd is going one way, and we just happen to be swept up in it. 
Wherefore, uh, 14, verse 14, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. So we see that there is this action word that we are to take, to flee, for example, from idolatry. But as long as we have this human nature in us, we are, we're going to struggle over these things that we see. We're going to struggle in order to overcome temptations because in verse 12, we don't wrestle, we, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So we see that it's a struggle, it's a battle in which armor is required. And so we also see that we're to resist temptation. Now some might argue, well, this is just salvation by works, doing things by our own power and that we are under grace and that Christ did it all and that we don't have to obey any of the commandments. But this grace means that we are under his mercy, we are under his forgiveness for as long as we strive or seek to be spiritually minded and not carnally minded, succumbing to the fruits of the carnal nature that is in us. You know, today we see a lot of violence. We see where even so-called law-abiding citizens get ticked off and they commit crime. And so we are warned, take heed lest we fall. Be aware. At this time, we do not have perfect godly nature now. But we are begotten with the Holy Spirit of God so that it is possible to become as Christ, to be like Christ, to be Christ-minded. When Jesus said to the rich man, go and sell, give to the poor, he was asking of him an unhindered commitment in following him. And that it is Christ that we are to please. Not man, but to obey God rather than man. And so some might say, well, this means we should go out and, you know, take out our lifetime savings and, and just let it all go. But this was spoken to the rich man for a specific purpose to reveal in him that we are to love and to serve God with our whole heart. That God comes first and not riches. Who then can be saved? Matthew chapter 19 and verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed you. What, what shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. In Matthew chapter 4, I didn't give this to Rick, but I'd like to refer to Matthew chapter 4. In 
and in verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom is of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. They followed him, gave up this, this uh, livelihood. And going on from there, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. So we see how the disciples gave up what they had in order to follow Christ and to do his will. <clears throat> Verse uh, 29 in chapter 19. And everyone that has forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Those, are, those can be difficult things to do. It's not easy. We read in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14, that it says to enter you in at the straight gate, the narrow gate, because, you know, broad is the way that leads uh, to destruction, to ruin. But when you look at leaving houses or brethren or family, uh, we know that they're not all abandoned at once, though they could be, but there are times when a thing that is precious to us are left in order to follow the will of God. And we can think of Abraham, we can think of, of Ruth, as well as the disciples that we read about who were with Christ and went to following him. And in verse 30, we see that many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. In the book of Matthew, chapter 20, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is a householder which went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go you also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said unto them, Why stand you here all the day idle? And they said unto him, Because no man has hired us. And he said unto them, Go you also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right that sh shall you receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, Call the laborers. <coughs> And give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they received likewise. They received, uh, and when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, 
These last have wrought but one hour, and you have made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden of, and heat of the day. But he answered one of, uh, one of them and said, Friend, <clears throat> I did thee no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go your way. I will give unto this last, even as unto you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Is your eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first last, for many be called, but few chosen. We know that the church is comprised of the begotten of God and are doing the work of dispersing the gospel of salvation to others and have gone through various trials and tribulations in being Christians, some giving up work because they had to have to work on the Sabbath, and that for a long time. But some, we know, are not called at this time because some are not ready. But there will come a time, as uh, in later days, as situations and need arises, some will remember the scriptures that have been read to them and heed that call to salvation even in the tribulation. So even at the last hour, they will be given the same reward of eternal life for which we are in quest of today. We also know that, as Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew tells us, that you know, some are going to be rulers over five cities, some rulers over ten. So even at the last hour, there is hope that they will be saved, receive salvation, and inherit eternal life. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, that's the sealing of the 144,000 of the 12 tribes, I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes and whence come they? And I said unto him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sits on the throne shall dwell among them. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So we know that there is a awesome and wonderful time ahead, but we must all strive to be spiritually minded, to not trust in our own selves, our, our riches, but in God through Jesus Christ, who shows us how. Matthew 6, verse 19, he says, To lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and dust 
doth corrupt, <coughs> or rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. So we're not to run after these things, to run greedily after these things, set our priorities of life on these things, although we know that you know, we have to have a certain amount to spend for our livelihood. But these are the things that thieves are after, all of these riches. And so we put ourselves in a, in a, in a uh, situation where you know, we set ourselves up for robbery. If everybody knows that uh, you might have gold in your house or whatever. But we have to have a just and a proper perspective of the blessings that uh, is made possible through God. Uh, verse 24, <clears throat> because no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God or mammon, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. So those that are spiritually minded, they mind things like God's law of love. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So it has to be focused on the priority of life, of being spiritually minded. <clears throat> Verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, that, you know, these things that we need will be added unto you. As we go through life, we learn through experience, whether, you know, of ourselves or of others, and, you know, sometimes you say experience is the best teacher, but sometimes that experience can, can you know, we really could, could have done without the experience. We could have learned a lesson from uh, some, someone else. <coughs> we know that since all things are possible with God, he could have created man with all righteousness built in by nature and incapable of doing uh, uh, of doing sin but you know we're not made like robots or machines he gave us a mind he gave us a conscience which could be educated to discern between what God loves and what he abhors or what he hates so God's word we know is a revelation of those two things of what he loves and what he hates and so it becomes a matter of choice in our quest for eternal life in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. You know, God had told Moses to tell this to the people, to let them know this. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. Under, you know, the old covenant, the immediate penalty for disobedience was death. If that were so today, there would be a lot of people around us dead by the hand of God. But at the same time, we know that there is pain, there is suffering, there is violence in our world today due to the breaking of God's law of love. And there is death around us. And, you know, we suffer along with it. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 22, we know 
that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. But not only they, <coughs> but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to, to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? Because our eyes are on the impossible. In the eyes, you know, of science and others, they, they think, well, you know, somebody being resurrected, somebody uh, 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 inheriting life after they've been dead or turned to ashes and come up the, the way they used to be, it seems impossible. But the time is yet to come when we will receive that eternal life, a time of judgment to come. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 21, The upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it. But the wicked shall be cut off from the earth, and the transgressors shall be rooted out of it. In Hebrews chapter 4, and I didn't give this to Rick either, but I'll turn to that if I can find it. Hebrews 4, and it's about the rest that is ahead. Verse 9, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And we know from the margin that is referring to the uh, Sabbatismos, the Sabbath, which pictures a day of rest, not only like today, but a day coming in which mankind will find that ultimate peace and rest. Verse 10, for he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor. Let us labor. So we see it's a work. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. In some ways, it's kind of hard, I guess, for some. I know it was for us for a long time, and sometimes it still is, to labor, to enter, to come to church, to walk through the doors, you know, after maybe you've had a hard week. It's a labor, but it's a labor of love, and we know that there are benefits and there are blessings from it, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And we know from verse 12 that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. But all things, verse 13, all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Ezekiel 18, chapter 18, verse 20, it says that the soul that sins, it shall die. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he has committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right. He shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions that he's committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure that at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? But when the righteous turn away and this is the, the, uh, 
exception here, but when the righteous turn away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All his righteousness that he has done shall not be mentioned in his trespass that he has trespassed and in his sin that he has sinned in them shall he die. We know that baptism, we know that repentance does not remove the old sinful nature, but <clears throat> Jesus Christ, once he has entered your, your mind through the power of the Holy Spirit, will give you the incentive and the direction to steady your life and to change your course, to change your uh, thinking from being carnally minded to being spiritually minded. So we see that there are some warnings that we should be concerned about our spiritual health and to have this hope of eternal life, the, which is the aim of our quest. But it's a matter of choice because the Spirit, you know, does not twist your arm to do the right thing. When God offered the uh, Old Covenant to ancient Israel, did he coerce them into entering that covenant or did he allow them to voluntarily decide? Because in the Scripture we see the word if. He was saying, if. Exodus 19, verse 3. Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice, if... You will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant. Then you shall be a peculiar treasure to me above all people for all the earth is mine. So this word if shows that God did not force Israel to enter into a covenant with him. Just as we when we chose to repent and be baptized and become a new creature in him. No longer serving sin we entered that new covenant with Jesus Christ. As prophesied by Jeremiah, chapter 31, uh, The days come, said the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Now that law is written in our hearts. Things come to our mind when we're presented with a choice of, of doing what is good and, uh, or what is wrong. And we see that this statement is repeated over in Hebrews 8 again and in Hebrews 12, 24 where it says that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So we have a personal covenant with, with Jesus Christ that is sealed by his blood. Continue Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. So <clears throat> they covenanted. Just as we made a covenant 
in our baptism, in our repentance, that we were going to walk as a new creature. So in our quest to, for eternal life, we're to, to take heed and not neglect salvation. We have the scriptures to go by, and they show us that we are to continue the good fight of faith and not let down our guard, but to take heed. And that we must be sure to put the will of God before everything by being doers of the word and not, not hearers only. The new covenant promises eternal life and a close relationship with Jesus Christ as his collective bride. And we as individuals must, must, take, must make ourselves ready to attend the marriage supper of the Lamb to be his bride. You can perhaps remember the day of your wedding and all the things that uh, went into that day, the uh, clothes and all the flowers and all the things in order to be uh, ready of getting to, uh, even the days ahead of getting to know your bride or your groom and then vowing to be faithful and to be true. That's what we're doing in this life, getting ready, growing in grace and in his knowledge and fleeing idolatry and all the other sins that we see prevalent in our society around us. This is what God is calling us to, to prepare as his bride, his church in a, in a uh, husband-wife relationship. We seek also to be born again as a spirit being, to be in that wedding that is to come. In Revelation chapter 19, the book of Revelation declares there, verse 9, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb, that, so that we, and he said unto me, these are the true sayings of God, I lost my place, right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. So that is our quest, that is our hope, eternal life, and that's why we have chosen this way of life, so that we may inherit eternal life. So no matter what our present distress might be, our particular affliction, it will all work out for the good in due time. And we must have patience while at the same time trusting that God will do as he promised. Who then can be saved? Revelation 14, verse 12, final scripture. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ.